Luke 18, verse 1, we've been talking about uh, Jesus coming back. The Bible says over and over again in many places, Jesus is coming back. And and so we've been spending time really since the end of last year talking about being ready for his return. And we've seen a number of things that we need to do. We need to make sure that we're saved. In other words, we need to say, make sure that, you've, that Christ is your Lord and that He is your Savior, that your faith is in Him and not in your works and not in anything else that you do, but your confidence is in Him, that you've come to Him and have a personal relationship with Him. We saw that the Bible tells us we need to wake up, awaken to the time we're in. We've talked about what that awakening means. It means to be alert, on guard, recognize the urgency of the time and what it means. And once you're awake, all your systems are on alert and begin to function. But until we're fully awake, we're just kind of getting by. And so much of the church, so much of us, and this is something God's challenging me on, is just kind of going through the motions, doing what we need to do, going through the routine and not being awake and realize the urgency of the time that we're in. Not a fear, but to be urgent and to be sober. The Bible says to be sober and awake and alert. We've also seen that, that we need to make sure that we're living right before God. And so we need to make sure that, that if, you know, we're not living in sin, we're not doing something that we know is wrong. It doesn't mean that you go on some witch hunt and tear your life apart, but, it, you know, if you're off, you know you're off. If you're doing something wrong, you know you're doing something wrong, and you need to repent, confess it, repent, and, and Pastor Sam used to have, a, who all in his pictures were of, we saw, used to have this simple, admit it and quit it. <laughs> it takes both steps. <laughs> Sometimes we like to admit it, but we don't want to quit it. So we'll keep admitting it over. No, you need to admit it and quit it and go on. Put it under the blood and go on and God will forgive you and God's grace will take care of you, but you've got to, you've got to do that. So we need to be awake. We need to live right before God. We, we need to, to not forsake our assembling together. We need each other, not just on TV and, you know, and Facebook and all that. We need to be physically together, come together as the body of Christ. And that's what we do this morning. And that's what we do on Wednesday nights. And and then we need to find our place and do what God's called us to do in the body. Fulfill what God's called you to do. Now we've been talking about that in Luke 18. um, Jesus says, and we won't stay here long. In verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So one of the things that's going to happen when he comes back is he's going to want to know, do I find faith on the earth and especially with the church? One of the things I've seen as a pastor and over the years is that very few Christians that I've encountered, and not just in my conversations with them, but also as I watch their dealings in life, very few Christians really understand what faith is. And even fewer are operating in it. We have this vague idea. Well, the economy is trusting God, you know, and well, but, but I was in faith. Well, we're going to talk about that for a minute. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In essence, what faith is, is taking God at His word regardless of what my senses tell me. Your senses tell you one thing, God's Word tells you something else. Which one are you going to believe? Well, I believe God's Word. Yeah, but do I? Because the measure of what I believe is what I do and what I say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So all you need to do to locate where somebody is in their faith, including yourself, 
is to listen to what you say. I've had people come and ask me for prayer, and I said, okay, now would you, this is what the Scriptures say. Do you believe that God has healed you? Whatever's, well, I hope so. Then you're not in faith. Hope is good. Faith gives substance to things hoped for. So obviously hope and faith are not the same thing because faith gives substance to hope. And if faith and hope are the same things, it wouldn't need to give substance for it. It would be the same as hope. So we need hope. Hope's kind of like your thermostat. Got up this morning, our thermostat's programmed so with about, about 5.30, the heat comes on. Well, actually what happens is the thermostat measures where the temperature in the house is and where I've told it I want it to be. So when you get up in the morning, if you don't have one of those thermostats and it's, the temperature's not where you want it to be, where do you do? You go to the thermostat and you run it up to 70 or 68 or whatever you do. But when you turn that thermostat to 68, your house is not instantly 68 because the thermostat has no power. But the thermostat's connected to something that does have the power that's your furnace. So what the thermostat does is it sets your hope for what you want the temperature to be in the house. So that now you've set the hope for where you want the temperature to be, the furnace, which has the ability to change the temperature, now has a goal to push towards to get the house to the temperature where you want it. You see, this, see how they work together? So faith and hope are not the same things. Many people that think they're in faith are actually in hope. Faith is now. Faith believes because God said it, it's true now, whether my senses confirm that or not. And the last time we talked about this, we went back in Romans 4, and we looked at, at, the, at the story of, of Abraham back there, and we saw that Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham, and the promise that he would be a father of many nations. But the problem was, he was too old, his wife was too old, and she was barren. And yet God made a promise that through you, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he hadn't had one child and was incapable of having children. So Romans 4 tells you the process Abraham went through to choose to believe what God said and not what his body told him. And that's what faith is. Faith is believing what God says above what your senses say. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. Thank you. You've got five senses, and they're talking to you all the time. And then you've got God's Word, and you've got to choose which one of those is truth to you. The Bible tells us that God made His promises before the foundation of the world. So from God's side, it's done. Romans 4 says, As as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. So God said to Abraham, you'll find that in Genesis 12, 15, and then 17. As, As I had written, a father of many nations have I made you. Have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that do, calls things to be not as though they were. In hope against hope, he believed God so that he might become. And that's the process. You've got to believe what God says so that you might become what God says. And what we want to do is become it first and then believe it because we became it. So when God says, by the stripes of Jesus, I paid for your healing, that settles it as far as God's concerned. But what we do is we said, all right, the Bible says God will heal me. Now I look at my body to decide whether I'm healed or not. 
That's faith. That's not faith. That's sense evidence. You're taking as evidence, you're healing what your body's telling you instead of what God said about it. But the Bible teaches you've got to believe what God says first and then you become what you believed. That's the order. And we learned last time that that's God's way of of bringing everything to us. Because it takes faith in order to receive anything from God because you can't see what God's already provided for you. Everything God has always already promised you already exists in the spirit realm. When you come to God and pray for something, as long as it's in the Bible, God then doesn't go make it for you. It already exists. What faith does is allows you to receive it in this natural material realm, something that already exists in the, in the spirit realm. So it's what allows us to receive it. We looked last time briefly at Ephesians 8, excuse me, 2 verse 8, which tells us that's how you received your salvation. Because we're saved by grace. That's God's part. Through faith. That's our part. That's how we received the grace that God gave to us. So we received our salvation for, by faith because you can't see it. And we don't always feel it. Do you always feel saved? Just, you know, you get up in the morning and the glory of God's just all over you and, you know, you could just walk on water today and, you know, where's the devil? Bring him to me. I'm ready to just, you know, oh boy, we're just ready. And every day you wake up like that and walk through your whole day like that? I don't think so. Not if you're alive. (laughs) Some days you wake up like, but some days you wake up and, whoa, you know. But that doesn't change what God's done for you. That doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change whether you're saved or not. That doesn't change whether God's living in you or not. Just because you feel Him or don't feel Him doesn't how you determine whether He's in you or not. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, behold, I knock at the door. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and dwell in you. And if you open the door, He came in and He's dwelling in you whether you feel it or not. But we go through our life so much of the time until we've learned this, walking by what we feel and not by what God's Word says. So we receive our salvation by faith. We receive everything else God has by faith. But we began to learn last time that there's a higher purpose. That's important. We need to know and walk in that. But there's a higher purpose for our faith. And we saw that. Now if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to read down through here. We're going to start... Well, let's, go, let's start in verse... Um, ...19. And I, I don't, it starts with, therefore, and I've told you, whenever you see a therefore, go back and find out what's said before, because what's about to be said is a result of what was said before. But we're not going to take the time this morning and go back and look at what was before. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. So so by the blood of Jesus is what God has done. God's side is, Jesus shed His blood to wash away your sin. That's what He's talked about before. To cleanse you. 
and make you holy in the sight of God because no one can come into the presence of a holy God unless they're holy. And so Jesus' blood was shed to wash your sins away and not just make you clean temporarily, but to wash them away out of the sight of God and God gave you His, His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He gave you His righteousness so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? So you are qualified to come into His presence. That's what the Bible says God has done from you for you. That's God's side. But our side is we receive that, not by how we feel, not by whether I feel righteous or look righteous, but by faith in what God said He did for me. Same principle. Same principle by which you receive your salvation. Same principle by which you receive healing or anything else God's provided for you. It's the same way you receive this, this confidence to come into His presence. Therefore, having... Let's look at what it says. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest place, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He consecrated us through the veil that is His flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, as a result of that, verse 22, let us draw near. That's draw near to Him. When you get up in the morning when you're driving your car, wherever you are, you have the right to draw near to Him. How? In fear and trepidation? No. In full assurance of what? Of what? Of faith. It takes faith to draw near to a holy, righteous God who, by the way, knows everything about you. knows every thought you've ever had, (laughs) everything you've ever done, everything you didn't do that you should have done, everything. The most passing of thought, he knows. There's nothing hidden from his sight. And yet the Bible's telling us we can come into his actual presence with full confidence and assurance. Why? By faith in what Jesus did for us. Not how good you were yesterday. Not how long or faithful you've been in prayer. But by faith in what Jesus did for you. Because the moment you start having your confidence before God in anything about yourself, the Bible calls that self-righteousness. It's a righteousness based in yourself not in what He did for you. So if you're having a lack of confidence in coming before Him, most likely you've been looking at yourself. And we can make that error in two ways. Hey, hey, God, I can come talk to you today because I have been pretty good lately. (laughs) Or I don't, you know, I can't pray today because, you you know, I just, you know. Both of those are wrong for the same reason. Because it's looking at me as the basis of my confidence or lack of confidence to come before God. So it requires faith. We're going to see over in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Now I taught you last time, it's not, it doesn't say that faith is what pleases God. It's faith is what allows you to do 
what pleases God. Because the rest of that verse says, for in order to come to God, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it takes faith to come to a God you can't see. And it's the coming to God that pleases him. It takes faith to do it. But it's the coming to God that pleases him. God's pleased with faith. But what, he, what, what, what the reason faith pleases him is that it allows you to come to him with confidence and so that you relate to him, so that you talk with him, so that you love him and can receive his love back. That's what pleases him. Okay. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves. We talked about that before. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day, day approaching. So he's talking about what we're talking about now. He's talking about getting ready as we see the day approaching. Now let's go down to um, verse 32. And what he's talking about here in the verses in between is he talks about sinning willfully. What he means by that is walking away from God. This whole context, this whole section of Scripture is talking about holding on to your confession, about being persevering no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, no matter what seems to work or not work, no matter what the government's doing or not doing, no matter who's elected or who's not elected, no matter what happens to the stock market or what happens to the housing values, no matter what happens to your job, no matter what happens to how well the church is loved in this nation or whether this church is persecuted in this nation, whatever comes or goes, sunshine, rain, snow, sleet, whatever it is, it doesn't change who we are because it doesn't change who God is. And what he's challenging us here is no matter what the circumstances are, they don't change us. And they don't change us doing what God's called us to do. They don't change us from finishing our course. They don't change our moods. They don't affect whether... See, so much of the church is up one day and down the next. It's like the weather. This summer is winter. One day 45, the next day 25. And around here it can be very unpredictable. They can predict snow and you don't get anything. They can predict nothing and you get snow. And that's how so much of the church is. Unpredictable. Everything's going well. Oh, Lord, worthy is the Lord. I love you, Lord. And my new car... Let's read on. (laughs) 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, in other words, after you came into the knowledge of the truth, you endured a great struggle and sufferings. Oh, that's a bad confession. (laughs) But apparently they went through it. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. He's saying, after you are saved, after you came into the knowledge of the Lord, 
you, you went through a rough time. You were persecuted. You were made a reproach and you went through tribulations and you also, your friends and companions went through it and so you went through it with them. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted, joyfully accepted the plunder of your goods knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. This is the perspective that the church has to get. The church in the United States has been so blessed. This church has been so blessed. We just saw a video of, our, of our, some of our heritage and how God's blessed this church and provided for this church. God has been very faithful and good to us. And so we love Him. But what happens if the blessings suddenly aren't there? What happens to our love for Him and our walk for it with Him when suddenly things are taken away from us? So, well, that can't happen. If you think it can't happen, you're unprepared. What is your well-being based on? What is your peace and, 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 and sense of security founded on? Is it founded on what you have? Is it founded on the blessing? God blesses, clearly does. But what have you based your life on? What are your hope based on? What is your confidence in life based on? I share with you last time, you know, you can think you're someplace until you bump up against some life. And I shared with you last time, you know, I, you know I, I, I didn't think I was, you know, ready to walk on water, but I, you know, I thought that my foundation was pretty well established and... And, and last year, twice, we lost power at our house through two different reasons. One of them for two days, 48 hours. We had water. We didn't need heat because it was in the springtime. But we had no electricity. And we had, uh, uh, so we, you know, the refrigerator was, was, wasn't working. And, 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 and I can't, couldn't believe how little time it took for that to get under my skin. I was shocked at how I started feeling a little irritable just because some of my conveniences that I was used to weren't there. We had safety, we had shelter, we had clothing. But I had to lift the garage door manually. (laughs) I couldn't just drive up. By the way, I could drive a car. I didn't have to walk. But I, had, I couldn't just push a button in the roof and the door opened. I had to get out of the car. Then I had this vague memory. You know, in the old days we used to do that. And I had to lift it. I mean, that was a major inconvenience. And this began to get under my skin. I'm thinking, John, wake up. Because we get comfortable doesn't mean we're bad people. doesn't mean we don't love God. But we get comfortable in things. It's interesting because in the history of the early church, the enemy tried to destroy the church through persecution. 
And all that did was backfire on him because it was like trying to put a fire out by spreading gasoline on it. All it did was spread it. So he got smart. And what he did is he legalized the church. Constantine, the emperor Constantine legalized the church in something like 323 or something like that uh, AD. And what happened is the church began to compromise, get comfortable and watered down. So persecution's not always bad. It's never fun. But it, what it does is it awakens us. And am I saying persecution's coming? I don't know. I just know if you look at the news today and you look back 10 years and see the attitude of the world towards the church, it isn't the same. It isn't the same. So we're going to have some choices to make. And what we're looking at is a model of people and a man, Paul, who learned how to come through this with joy. Notice this. He said, with joy. So smile. Say, with joy. See, so we can do this with joy. Why? Because their joy was not based in what they had. Their joy was founded and established in something else. What was it established in? We need to know. Verse 34, the end. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of goods, knowing that you have, have, not will have, have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, because we know that, do not cast away your confidence, for it has a great reward attached to it. Don't throw your confidence away because it has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not tarry. Now the just, that means those who have been made just in the sight of God. How many of you have been made just in the sight of God? That's how you were saved. The rest of you either need to read your Bible or get saved. Because if you're, if you're in Christ, you've been made just, righteous. I didn't say you act like it all the time. But you've been made just. Now the just shall live. Not get saved by faith. We're saved by faith. But once you're saved, we're to continue to live by faith. But if anyone draws back, So he's talking about faith so that we don't draw back. Pull away from God if things get tough. Pull away from God if we don't see all the blessings that we think we ought to have. Pull away from God if things don't just necessarily go the way we want them to go. (laughs) That's one of the signs of a child growing up is they don't always have to get things their way. One of the marks of childishness is they have to have it their way, when they want it, how they want it, which is always now. They want to be first. They want the best. They want to have what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And, they, they, and if, they, if not, they'll let you know. They'll let you know. That's called childishness. But that same principle moves over just because we're... 25, 35, 
55, 65 or older, doesn't mean we can't still be childish in some ways. You have a chronological age and then you have a maturity age. And one of the measures of maturity is whether you have to have things the way you want them. And what do you do? How do you handle it when things don't turn out the way you want them? Oh, this is really popular, I can tell. (laughs) Pastor, go back to that. Go back to the stuff about receiving things from God by faith. (laughs) It's interesting because earlier in, in, in Hebrews, and I've been praying this lately, for me, maybe I ought to start praying it for you too. <laughs> Jesus, it says about Jesus, it says, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Behold, it is written in the book of the law, I have come, O Lord, to do your will. Jesus taught his disciples a prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. You'll find much greater peace and joy when you begin to commit your life to his will being done each day, not your will being done. Amen. Say, but, 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 but if I don't get the things I... But you'll find if you do His will, there's joy, there's peace, there's protection. Hallelujah. All the things you need are by coming us into submission to His will being done as opposed to your will being done. See, if, if it, your will has to be done, then you're your God. Somebody's your God. It's either you, the devil, or God. And see, it's never really you. So it's either Satan's your God or God's your God. And if you're trying to do your will, if you want things done your way, then if you're not the God, you're submitted to the God of this world, who is Satan, who rose up before this world was created the way it is and challenged God because he wanted his will done. In the garden, that was the challenge. His will be done. To do your will and not God's will. So that's the ultimate issue in life. Whose will are you living for? Are you living for yourself? If you are, you're your source of protection. You're your source of well-being. You're your source of joy. You're your source of peace. How well are you doing? Well, it's one thing to be doing well sitting on a beach in the Caribbean with a nice tea in your hand, you know. That's one thing. It's another thing when things get tough naturally, financially. Many of you have gone through, and some of you are still going through, some very tight, tough financial times in your life. Did it take your joy? Because if it can take your joy, your joy was in your job. And these people had learned where to place their joy, what their source of their joy was. It wasn't in the things of this world. What was it in? It was in the fact that they had a confidence that, that there was a place they were, there was some, a reward that was prepared for them. And so he says here in verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, <clears throat> back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So apparently there's a requirement once we come to Christ that we continue to believe in him. That gets some people upset. That means it's not just enough to say a prayer someday and then I just go off and live my life and do what I want to do. 
live my life for myself. But I said a prayer 14 years ago. Don't remember what it was, but I know I said it. Apparently, we're required to continue to continue to believe in Him, to not pull back from that faith and confidence in Him. Look at your Bible. Isn't that what it says? He said, but we're not of those who do that. Now, he was writing this to a people that were struggling in their faith. So don't get under condemnation. Don't say, well, you know, I may not be where I need to be in faith. He was challenging them not to abandon it. He's writing this to them to encourage them to continue in it because they were being tempted to draw back under the old traditions of the law and begin to to trust in, in the sacrifices and in the things that they eat and didn't eat and all the rituals that they had to go through in the Old Testament. They were being tempted to go abandon their faith in Christ and go back under those things. And that's what he's challenging them. You're saved by faith in Christ. And you continue to walk in that salvation by continuing in that faith, to continuing to grow in it. To continue to, and we're all growing. Even the Apostle Paul was, because he wrote in Philippians, I've not attained yet. But forgetting those things that lie behind, I press on towards the upward call of Christ that's in Christ Jesus. Upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. So we're all in the process of growing, but what Paul's challenging him, understand this. You need to be growing in your faith. You need to be developing your faith in Christ and in the Word of God of what He says He's done for us so that we don't pull back, so that our faith and confidence are in Christ and in His promises and provision and not in the things of this world. That's why now he goes into chapter 11 and gives us a definition of faith. So let's begin to look at this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're going to look at some specific things in here and not go through the things. So the first thing we've looked at is that it allows us to draw near to Him with confidence. We've already looked at that. That was in Hebrews 10.22 and then Hebrews 11.6. Now what we're looking at is it helps us to go through difficult times without quitting. When our senses scream at us to give up. It allows us, it takes faith in order to finish your course with joy. Paul came to the end of his race, the end of his life, his, his service to the Lord in 2 Timothy. And I've shared this with you before. If you read it, you'll find out all of Asia that he spilled his blood for and been going through so much for where he first, his first missionary journey established these churches. All of Asia has fallen away. But it didn't affect him because he, his eyes were not on the people. His eyes were on the God he served. He loved the people This comes out in all of his writings. But his faith was not in the people. His faith was in the God whom he served. And it takes faith to serve somebody you can't see. It takes faith to walk in obedience to someone you can't see and not be paying attention to people that you can see and situations that you can see. That's where this idea of what faith is, this definition of faith comes in here. Okay, now let's, he's going to give us a, a little bit of a definition again, and then we're going to go look at some application here, more application. Um, verse, verse 2, For by it, by, elder, by faith, elders obtained a good testimony. 
So that's what the rest of this chapter is going to be. These are the elders that, that obtained a good testimony with God. So each of these is an example of faith. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen, this natural realm, were not made of things that are visible. So this, in other words, this verse is saying, by faith we understand that this natural realm, everything that we see here, the earth, the sky, and all the things that our senses can detect, by faith we understand that these things were not made out of some other things that were made. Now, my house is of this natural material realm. You come up to the house, it has plastic siding, vinyl siding. It has wood in it. It has some plaster in it. It has different natural materials. And whoever built that house went and got those materials from some other place that provided those materials. But this verse is saying, this natural material realm, God didn't go to Lowe's to get the materials to put together this earth. He spoke them into existence out of a realm that you can't see. And it says it takes faith to understand that. And that's what science is struggling with today. Because they're trying to understand the origin of a natural realm, assuming that with their natural minds, they can figure that out. But the Bible says it takes faith to know where this realm came from. Because it didn't come out of something that your test tube can detect or that some laser microscope can determine. It came out of something you cannot detect with any of your senses. And science uses our senses to detect things. That's what this verse is saying. Didn't know all that was in there, did you? (laughs) But that's what it's saying. And so it takes faith. And he's going to go verse 4... Abel, I'm going to go through all of these. Let's go down to, um, let's go down to verse 32. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, So it takes faith and not to quit. We're going to look at a third thing now. Let's go to verse 13. All of these, now this is just going to bear with me here, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off. Now, if you read back and, and read some of these, one of them was Abraham, and the promise he's talking about there is the promise of Isaac. Well, obviously he received the promise of Isaac because Isaac was born. So what's he talking about? He's saying these, all these died in faith, not having received the promise. The promise that he's talking about here is what Isaac represented. Because when we go on, what he's talking about, the promises that he's talking about that they hadn't naturally received was ultimately the promise of salvation by faith in Christ. Because Isaac was a forerunner. Of Christ, because he was offered on that mountain on an altar. And Abraham gave up his only begotten son. And when he gave him up, and God says, No, you don't have to slay him, and God provided a ram, that was all symbolic that there was going to come a day years later where on that same mountain 
God was going to take His only begotten Son and He was going to offer Him up on a wooden sacrifice. So all that He went through with Isaac was a preparation by faith of what God was going to do for us. Because it goes on to say they didn't receive it because they were waiting for what we've received. So here he's talking about promises in two levels. One is the immediate promise that they received, but what he's really talking about is their perspective, which was that they were faith was in a God in heaven and in the ultimate salvation and in deliverance and reward that God had promised him beyond this temporal life. And that's really what we're talking about here. Because what faith is ultimate purpose for, aside from receiving your salvation, obviously that's the most important one, is so we can learn to live our life in this natural material realm, whatever happens here, with the same confidence and the same joy and the same determination to fulfill God's will and purpose in our life because our eyes are not on the things of this world. Our confidence is not on and our well-being and our joy is not founded on our circumstances. It's all because we have a total confidence in the God who's promised us that there is a heaven that's waiting for us. A God who has promised us that there is a reward that's waiting for us. Because when Paul finishes his race, he says, I I am waiting with joy because there is a crown of righteousness that's been laid up for me. That's why Paul did what he did. That's why Paul went through what he went through. Yes, he loved those people, but he went through it. His ultimate motivation was to please his God, to be faithful to his God, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, and to receive the reward that was promised him that he could not see with his eyes. He couldn't touch that golden crown with his hands because he had to know they were there by Faith. And that's what God's calling us to. Because we must learn to walk with that perspective. Or we'll be swayed by the circumstances of this world. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, this verse just keeps rolling around in me. For we walk by faith and not by sight, what our senses tell us. So when I look at the news and I see tornadoes and all that stuff and I'm tempted to get discouraged or you see the stock market or you see whatever it is happening you don't think ought to happen and you tend to get discouraged, I said, but I walk by faith. It doesn't move me what happens in all those things because I'm not here doing what I'm doing so that I'm going to end up with millions of dollars or I'm going to end up... That's wonderful if God does that and uses me, find all that, but I'm doing this because I want to be faithful to Him who called me. Because my motive and my focus is when I stand before him to hear those words, well done, God and faithful servant. And to not shrink back, as we've talked about before, not shrink back out of shame. I didn't, and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. That's what motivates me. That's what my focus is on. That's what it takes to be prepared. So when he says here that they died not having received the promises, that's what he's talking about. But having seen them from afar. Now remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The, The look is not with these two eyes, 
is to look with the eyes of faith. So we go through this life with our eye of faith looking on heaven, looking on God's promise, looking on the reward, looking on His faithfulness to come and take us and return for us, looking for that. See, that the, the, the church of the prior generations had that perspective. Churches, the church tends to go from, from in, in, a, in a pendulum swing in terms of its emphasis. And, and when they had the great revivals at the early part of the 20th century, so many of the churches that came out of this and all the songs that they sang were all about heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. And so much of their focus was on heaven. But they lost sight of what we're to do here. So they were all, not all, but the, you know, the, the tendency was to sit around waiting for us to go and to get to heaven. But the Bible says, occupy until I come. So there's a job to do here. And then we went through the Word of Faith movement, and it's still there, and, we, and the focus changed and began to say, well, well, while we're here, yeah, I know we got heaven, but there's things we can do here. We can exercise our faith here and our authority here to overcome and to change circumstances and do that. And that's all true too, but we, lost, we got our focus on doing things here and lost our focus on when we all get to heaven. And now it's time to bring it back into balance. That's it, that's it. Because if we're all looking at what happens here, what happens when here is no longer here? <laughs> it's the balance that we need. The old expression was, that they're, they're, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But you can be so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. It takes both of those perspectives in balance. Okay. You say, well, how do you keep it in balance? By reading the Word. For those who say such things, verse 14, declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind the country from which they come from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So what he's talking about here, he's setting the stage for what he's, the examples he's going to go through here because he's saying each of these people we're going to talk about now, all these people had as their perspective, their ambition, their looking to, the reason they lived their life. What they were doing was looking for that heavenly kingdom. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? And Pilate says, they say you're a king. Are you a king? He says, I'm a king but not of the kingdom that you're thinking of. In my kingdom, I'm king. So he stood there because with confidence, that's why he wasn't moved. That's why he wasn't afraid. That's why he didn't open his mouth to defend himself because his mind was totally renewed and his whole life was focused on living his life for God's kingdom with his perspective on God's kingdom. And so he opened not his mouth to defend himself because he had already died, even though he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He had already died to who he was and his own ambition. He only lived for his father's ambition, his father's kingdom. That's why he said, I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see my father do. Totally submitted to the will of his father, and yet totally victorious 
No one could take it. They couldn't even take his life from him because it says he gave his life up. They couldn't even take his life from him. See, when you walk, the closer you walk in this with God, the more of God's life, the more of God's authority, the more of God's power, the more of God's protection, the more of God's provision, because you're walking with him, the source of life, the source of joy. I told you before that scene on the mountain when Abraham, when Moses was on the mountain with God for 40 days, he didn't eat food and he didn't drink anything for 40 days. You can go 40 days without eating, but you can't go 40 days without any fluid unless you're in the physical presence of the source of life. Abraham was, was Moses was sustained by the presence of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That Psalm 91 of protection is for him who dwells in that place of closeness with him. But you can't do that unless you do it by faith. Okay. Got to begin to bring this to a close. So, what we've seen is faith allows us to draw near to God with confidence. We've seen that faith helps us to go through the difficult times without quitting when our senses want us to give up. And now what we see is faith allows us to live in this life with confidence with our eyes on the next life. One more thing. Verse 23. Go down to verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, as, as you read through Hebrews 11, watch, be sensitive to this word. Saw, see, or seen. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen with these natural senses. But he's talked about how they walked looking to the land that was to come. So it's this contrast, this comparison of the eye of faith, which is in here, your heart, and the eyes are the senses which are telling you information. So your senses are telling your information. Your eyes are telling you that I'm wearing a blackish navy blue suit with stripes in it. So your eyes tell you that. But your inner eye tells you what God's like based on God's word. So that's the contrast here. Now what had happened here, when Moses was born, Pharaoh issued an edict that the parent, because he knew there was a deliverer promise, that they were to kill every child under the age of two, I think it was. And Moses' parents, so they heard that come in. Now we're talking about pressure. Imagine you've got this baby, this beautiful baby that's been born. And Pharaoh... Now, we're not talking about a nation where you can go to court and get an injunction, where you can sue the government and say, we think this is unconstitutional. Pharaoh had absolute authority and absolute power. And if he said every child male under the age of two dies, every male under the age of two dies, they don't care what you think, what you want to do. You had no say in it. So imagine living in that kind of atmosphere and the word comes down that your child, that precious baby is about is going to be sacrificed, going to be executed. They have a choice to make. They saw by faith something special about this child. Not with their natural eyes. They saw by faith, and as a result, they hid him away out of the sight of Pharaoh. That was an act of faith. Imagine if they hadn't. 
what would have happened to their people. By faith, when Moses was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. So they saw, they, they saw something special about him by faith, not by their natural eyes. And they were not afraid of the king's command. Now we're going to move up. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, though you know the story. What, what, the, what his parents did is they put him in a basket and they released him into the river, trusting God. That's an interesting story. Because what happens is he's picked up in this basket by Pharaoh's daughter who also sees something special about him, not by faith, just naturally. She sees this child. She wants to raise this child. And so, but, but, but since she didn't have him, she's not nursing. So she sends an order out to find a nursing mother and bring, him in to raise, bring her in to raise the child. And guess who they pick? So here's an example of a mother by faith taking this child and releasing this child into God's destiny and into God's care. And when she did that, guess what God did? He gave the child back to her to raise. Except now they're doing it in Pharaoh's house. See what happens with your faith when you exercise faith in God? He takes care of you. Now he's grown up, and he was grow up his first 40 years to be the next Pharaoh because he was considered the daughter, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised up, trained, educated in all the refinements, educated intellectually in all the sciences to be the next Pharaoh. He knows he's the deliverer. But that's not what the movie said. Well, the movie's wrong. He knew he was a Hebrew. First of all, every male child was circumcised on the eighth day. The Egyptian males were not. Secondly, his mother raises him. So he's figured out he's the deliverer. But he wants going to do it his way, not God's way. So what happens, of course, the story is that, that, that he sees an Egyptian sl- um, uh, soldier uh, uh, fight, kill a, an, uh, one of his brethren, and he slays the Egyptian soldier, buries him in the sand, comes back the next day, sees two of the, his brethren fighting. He tries to, 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 uh, to um, referee it, and they say, you know, who are you? And they say, you're the one that killed us. So now he's, he, he gets concerned, and he basically says, let's go. He says, I'm the deliverer, let's go. And nobody wants to follow because they're not ready. And of course, he's not ready, but he doesn't know that. So what this verse says here, it's talking about how he chose to give up all that he had as Pharaoh's son. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming or evaluating the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. So what this is telling us, and this is what we'll end with, this is telling with his faith 
allowed him to choose, to, to overcome the temptations of this world and to choose and value God's destiny for him more than what the world offered him. We face that choice every day. And the power to do that came by his faith in what God had promised. By faith, it talks about esteeming the surpassing value of Christ. Now, he didn't know Christ by name at that point, but it's all talking about the destiny because Christ comes through this people that he's going to lead out. So that's all connected together. And so it's by faith that Moses made that choice. And it's by faith, it's going to take faith in order for us to stand against the temptations that this world offers. Now, not just the temptation for riches and food and things like that, but there's going to be the temptation to deny Christ. Marianne told you the story about the underground church in China. A friend of hers, the pastor, so it's, she knows it's true. We're on a Sunday evening service. They were in some hidden area because it was an, it's illegal for this church to meet. The door of the church opens up and these men came in in black hoods and machine guns. And they said, there's, of course, there's panic going on, and they said, everybody who, everybody who will deny Christ, you stand on that wall. You who refuse to deny Christ, you stand on this wall. About 200 people in the room, 20 of them went to that wall, and the rest of them went to that wall. That's when you find out where you stand. This happened. They said, all of you that are on this wall, you get out of here. When they left, the doors closed. They pulled their masks off, shot the guns in the air. And they said, now we know who really served Christ. Let's have church. But it doesn't always turn out that way question you have to ask yourself, what would you do? What would I do in that situation? And that's what we're preparing for. Whether that ever happens or not, that's what we're preparing for. That's what God's preparing us for. That level of consecration to Him doesn't happen overnight. It happens as you, day by day, grow in faith and trust in Him. They can do that because you can't do that if you don't believe He exists. But if you believe he is who he is, you believe there's a reward for faithfulness, then this life doesn't mean as much to you. And that's what faith allows us to do. We're going to close now. We'll pick up with this next time.